Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, good Friday to you. A disappointing loss for Oklahoma State on the road in Waco, but it's Friday nonetheless. We've got the West Virginia game coming up over the weekend. So are you having a good Friday so far? I am having a good Friday so far. The weather's not quite as nice as it's been the rest of the week, but all things considered, uh, it is Friday, which means the weekend's on the way. So, yeah, good Friday. Absolutely. Uh, I want to take a time to uh, thank Chris's University Spirit for sponsoring the podcast. You can go to chrisuniversityspirit.com, your one-stop cowboy shop. Obviously, baseball season is here. You're going to want to have the latest baseball gear at Chris's and just stop by there before you go to the shiny new O'Brate Stadium. OSU obviously just had their final basketball game in Gallagher-Iba of the season. So now we, our focus will, will shift with Chris's to baseball season. So be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's as always. So without further ado, Oklahoma State goes on the road. They lose to Baylor. Obviously, there's no shame in losing to Baylor, who's ranked third in the country. They end up losing by 11 points, but it was much closer than that in the second half. And obviously the, the major storyline is the injury to Cade Cunningham. Uh, before we get to that, Colby, though, just what do you think about the way the game played out? There was a lot of frustration with the officiating. Just what, what strikes you most after, uh, after the game? Yeah, to me, I, I thought the game played out about like I thought. I mean, I've been telling people for a couple of weeks they're not going to go down to Waco and beat Baylor. That being said, I mean, they hung around. They battled. It was a good basketball game. It's not like they went down there and got completely drubbed. Uh, cut it to, what, four at one point in the second half. It's just one of those things where, you, you know, Baylor is so good that they get up by nine, you cut it to four, you get some hope, and, and what do they do? They go down and they answer every single time and that's kind of what they did last night Jared Butler he's a special player 22 last night four of seven from three and I mean Baylor was 41 percent last night from three and that's not out of character that's what Baylor does Baylor's best three-point shooting team in the country uh and it's just hard to stick with them so I, I really wasn't too disappointed in the effort last night from Oklahoma State you know in the last 10 days two overtime games two very hard-fought, very emotionally draining Bedlam games uh, in which Cade, especially, as well as some other guys, have just played a ton of minutes. So while you'd love to steal one in Waco, I never really thought it was going to happen. Uh, and you kind of battled, so I, I really wasn't too disappointed uh, in, in anything except the the rolling of the ankle that took place with under a minute to go. Yes, that's catastrophic, and I do want to talk about that too. But on the game too, I, I loved how OSU started the game, and I think Jay Billis, who I just I just love, I could hear him call games every single time. He really did a good job pointing out how successful and how unintimidated OSU was from the very get-go. They, they really were destroying Baylor, frankly, on the pick-and-roll inside, and they just kept going to it and going to it and going to it. And and. He pointed out how OSU was not disrupted at all by Baylor to that point. And look, they they've given Baylor two really good games. Obviously, they've lost both, but they they led at halftime in the first meeting without Cade and Rondell Walker. And let's just face it, like I'm with you. Like they weren't gonna beat Baylor. Baylor is one of the best teams in the country. Jared Butler had 22 points. And really they they just they move the ball so well, and they're such a good shooting team that you're you're kind of behind the eight ball without having the turnover issues that Oklahoma State has every single game so it to me it was an understandable result and I think Colby even though they lost the game 
I think it's encouraging come NCAA tournament time because they were down at halftime. They were down most of this game. And yet it was a ball game with three or four minutes left to go because Kate Cunningham got hot as he normally does in clutch time. He had 24 points. To me, it showed a lot of their resolve in that they had another 18 turnovers. They were only 63% from the free throw line, only 36% from three-point land, which you'll take with this team. But to me, it was encouraging, Colby, that they, they hung around as long as they did, considering all the adversity they had. Yeah, this is a team that really just kind of refuses to die. And I think that that is part of why Oklahoma State fans have attached themselves so much to this team. You know, down by 11 at halftime in Waco against one of the best teams in the country, it would be really easy to come out and lose that game by 20 and, and just not be competitive. And Oklahoma State didn't do that. And and to talk about Kate's second half again, it's his shot just wasn't there in the first half. It didn't seem like he had it. And then sure enough, he catches fire. You, you look up at the end of the day and he's got 24, seven and four shot better than 50% from the floor and shot 50% from three. I mean, that's a solid night on the stat sheet, uh, especially with the way that he's being defended. Carson, he is just having to face a barrage of defenders every time he touches the ball and he's still able to do what he does. And that's what great players do. So um, re rebounding, you know, last night they get out rebounded in that game. Uh, they get out assisted. They, they turn the ball over too many times. So there, there were definitely some mistakes that were made, but uh, I think, you know, you got West Virginia tomorrow, and then finally this team will have what, what will it be, four days to just catch their breath and get their legs under them. And honestly, Carson, I think that's what they need more than anything right now. Yeah, they do. And it's, gosh, it's going to be such a whirlwind going from, from Waco to West Virginia on a, on a one-day, you know, turnaround, essentially. That's going to be a tough game just due to the travel and the fact that Kate Cunningham injured his ankle, and I want to talk about that too. But, man, you're, you're right. They, this has been a, just a, a hellacious – final week of the season for Oklahoma State due to the reschedulings of the Baylor and West Virginia games. I don't think the Big 12 did them any favors. And I don't know about you, Colby. And look, I'm never a guy that blames the officials for a loss. And I'm certainly not going to do that with this game against Baylor. Baylor was the better team. They made the winning plays in the end. And they're just, they're just frankly better than Oklahoma State is. And that being said, Big 12 officials – are terrible every night. They still don't know what a block charge is. It just, it's, it's a total roll of the dice. Jay Billis hammered them for not knowing what a block charge is. And they, they should err more on the side of, of a block than a charge. But I thought last night was one of the most poorly officiated games I've seen in, in a long time, maybe a decade because, and again, I know Baylor's the, the team that they, the big 12 conference would like to have the number one seed in the tournament. We all understand those implications in it, but the pro biggest problem I had Colby was late. This is an example late in the game, Caleb Boone gets hammered on a dunk, no foul at all. He makes the dunk. He complains immediately. Like what is going on here? He gets called for a touch foul. Like how many touch fouls did Cade Cunningham and Caleb Boone and, and others in the starting lineup have just by simply getting in front of their man, boom, touch foul. I thought it was one of the most poorly officiated games I've seen. And it was, it frankly was, it didn't feel like OSU was going to even have a chance to win the game with the way the game was being officiated. Yeah, I don't know that I would go quite as far as you would. I, I do think it was a poorly officiated game. I think the charge calls definitely accentuated that because it seemed like there were several times where it was just, it, it just seemed like the, the refs got on a little bit of a charge happy streak where all of a sudden, anytime you went into the lane and there was contact, they were calling a charge. And uh, obviously, the one at the end of the game where Caleb Boone got hammered going up for the dunk, really by a couple of guys from two different sides, and they didn't call anything. It was pretty bad. It's just, 
honestly, Carson, I've become numb to it. I think, I think I'm so used to the officiating being poor that I've, I've just become numb to it. And I'm like, ah, it'll even out on the other end. They'll, they'll make a bad one here in a second. And you know, for the most part, it kind of does sometimes, but it doesn't always. Um, and, and last night was tough. And, and what makes it even tougher is when you go on the road, against one of the best teams in the country and you're a 12-point underdog and you're trying to overcome a deficit, every call is that much more important. Every call is that much more accentuated. So I think in a game like that where you're an underdog and you need to have some things go right to win, those things didn't go Oklahoma State's way last night, and the officiating, I think, was definitely one of those. Yeah, I would agree. Maybe I went too far, but I just, again, I I just get so frustrated with – Guy gets hammered on the other end, and then they call it uh, just the, the, one of those just little tight touch fouls that you could call literally every time down the floor. So, look, they weren't going to win the game anyway. It's just the officiating is so inconsistent on such a consistent basis that it, it makes college basketball hard to watch, frankly. I think the NBA officials, as much as they get ripped and yelled at by Draymond Green and, and Russell Westbrook and players like that, I think they do an unbelievable job making snap calls in the moment because a lot of times they go to review and they were correct, but college officiating, big 12 officiating. I just, uh, it's to me, it's incredibly hard to watch, but Cade Cunningham in the final minutes of this game Cole, to make matters worse. They, they lose the game and he severely rolls his ankle with 42 seconds left in the game. I'm watching the replay right now. It was nothing malicious. He just kind of stepped on the foot of the Bayor defender and his ankle turned over his foot and he, he really winces in pain and had to leave the rest of the game. And, and afterwards, Mike Boynton uh, said he didn't know how, how injured he was, but it's a, it's a case where, you know, you, you wonder about his availability moving forward against West Virginia. Yeah, you do. I, I tell you, I would be shocked if he played tomorrow against West Virginia. I sincerely hope that he does not play tomorrow against West Virginia. I think it would be a mistake to play him tomorrow against West Virginia. Uh, You know, a guy sprains his ankle like that, but not only because of the sprained ankle, that's part of it, but the dude needs a day. He needs a day off. He played 39 minutes last night, and that's the fewest minutes that he's played in the last two weeks in a game. I mean, he's just absolutely been run ragged, and I get it because you had the overtime game against Tech, you had the overtime game against OU, and then you're at home against OU. And I think Mike Boynton knows what's the path to the hearts of the Oklahoma State fan base. It's not beating Baylor and Waco. No, 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 no. It is sweeping Oklahoma twice in three days on at their place and at home. So Kate gets, I mean, he gets to play 40 minutes Monday night because you win Bedlam, you win the fan base. And I, I just think with the sprained ankle, tomorrow's game to me is in the big picture so insignificant whenever we look at what is to come next week and then even more importantly the week after I think it would be a big mistake to run Kate out tomorrow I think you give him uh, another full five days of rest by not running him out tomorrow because think about it if you run him out tomorrow I mean that means he's got to go through warm-ups he's got to get his body completely ready to go and then if you're going to play him I mean are you only going to play him 25 minutes or is he going to get the 39 that he's been getting over the last several weeks I I just don't think think 
two days after he sprained his ankle. Not only that, they're not even coming back to Stillwater. They stayed in Waco last night. This morning, they hopped on a plane that would take them from Waco to Morgantown. So they're not even going back to Stillwater. Uh, so he just needs to do treatment and rest. Let the other guys go out and let some other guys get more minutes tomorrow and try to beat West Virginia. And if you don't, guess what? It's not the end of the world because that's the sixth ranked team in the country. And there are more important things on the horizon. I totally agree. And I think you also have to look at the Big 12 seeding. There's not a lot to be gained now that Oklahoma did them a favor. They lost to Texas last night. I think Oklahoma State's pretty much locked into the, the five or the six seed, depending on what Tech does and what they do against West Virginia, to where you're avoiding that first round in the Big 12 tournament. You get you, you go straight to the the, uh, the next round, the quarterfinals. So I do th- I, I with you. I, to me, it's a lot like the Isaac Likely situation, right? Was it was it beneficial to keep playing him on one leg when he was very ineffective? No, they they finally have rested him, and obviously he has the hand issue now. But I, I think it's kind of like the Likely situation in that it's going to do you far more good to rest Kate against West Virginia and get him ready for the big 12 championship. than it would be to force it possibly re aggravate it against West Virginia in Morgantown on the short layoff that you mentioned, and then having to travel to Kansas city. So we're, we're definitely on the same page there. Is, is that how you're reading the, the big 12 standings as well? They're pretty much. Yeah. I mean, into I'm, the five and six. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. And I think that the absolute worst they could do, is getting themselves into the six seed. I, I don't think that they could get down to the seven because OU doesn't play another game, do they? OU's done in no, conference. They're, they're done for sure. Yeah, OU's done in conference play. Which, by the way, Dave Hunziker pointed this out the other night on the radio broadcast, and he absolutely hundred and ten percent nailed it. There's a reason that Oklahoma State only has to play that Oklahoma State has to play all eighteen conference games, whereas a school like Oklahoma and some others don't have to schedule another game to make this up. Uh, and get all their conference games in. And the reason is Cade Cunningham. They wanted to get Cade Cunningham on TV more. You, you know, Texas Tech's going to end up playing 14 conference games. OU's going to end up playing 17. But they made sure to get all those Oklahoma State games rescheduled so that we could get Cade on TV. Joke's on you. He rolled his ankle, and I doubt he plays tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, Oklahoma State currently 10-7 and seven in conference. Oklahoma is in the seventh seed, and they're 9-8 and eight in conference. So even if Oklahoma State were to lose to West Virginia, they'd be 10-8 and eight to Oklahoma's 9-8. and eight. So then it would be contingent on what Texas Tech does against Baylor. You have to assume that they would lose that game. Uh, so, Carson, even if they lose to West Virginia tomorrow, I think Oklahoma State is all but locked into the five seed. I, I'd be shocked if they didn't end up being the five seed in the Big 12 tourney. Yeah, I'm with you there. They also would have the tiebreakers against Texas Tech and Oklahoma since they, yes. they swept the season series with, with both of them. So... Uh, fascinating. It's been a it's been a wild ride. OSU again has the most quadrant one wins in the entire country, despite the loss to Baylor. So they can only extend their lead if they were to get go on the road and beat West Virginia. The, the resume that they've built this year, frankly, when you take a step back, it's su- almost surprising in a way how how strong their resume is. And then you just think back, Colby, to some of those games that they lost early in the season. Their their resume would be unassailable if they didn't give away those those games against. Uh, TCU in the in the first meeting against West Virginia. Oh man, if they would if they wouldn't have blown those two games against TCU, I mean we're looking at a team that's twelve and five in conference, and that gets you up toward maybe the two seed in the Big Twelve, and we're talking about maybe a three seed in the tournament. I just oh it makes you sick to think about how good this team has been, and they lost to TCU twice. TCU still at this point only has five conference wins. And two of them were against Oklahoma State. So, yeah, I would just try not to think about that as you go into your weekend. Yep, no doubt. What, do you have a point spread on the uh, West Virginia game? 
Uh, I don't, but I can get you one if you'll give me about 30 seconds. Yeah, so West Virginia, they obviously just played Baylor as well. Um, they lost to Baylor, and then they just recently beat TCU. And, again, they, they handled business against TCU. And was that last night? Did they play TCU last night? Yeah, I was pulling that up. It looks like it was – yes, that was last night. They, uh, they cruised past TCU. And, and, again, Morgantown's a place where Mike Boynton has won before. I think that, to me, that showed me a lot early in his tenure that he could go on the road and win in tough venues like Morgantown and, and Lawrence – Kansas, uh, Allen Fieldhouse. So it's a tough, it's a tough finishing stretch. I mean, West Virginia is sixth in the country for a reason. They're 18 and seven overall. They're second in the Big 12. It's Bob Huggins, a Hall of Fame coach. But I think Mike Boynton has shown that they can go there and win. I, uh, I can't remember if they won there last year or not. I think they might have. Isaac likely had a huge dunk there last year. I'd have to pull up the schedule. But, but it's, a, it's a tough finishing stretch, obviously. And I, I do think, Colby, that they need to get Caleb Boone more involved. He only had six field goal attempts. Uh, last night against Baylor and you know Jay Billis was just raving about his back to the basket ability which you and I have talked about a lot on this this show his, his post moves are really underrated I think he's really evolved his offensive game to where if you don't have a Cade Cunningham you know lighting it up like he did last night against Baylor I think they should look to get Caleb Boone more involved on, on the block he's you know he's not he's not uh you know big country down there but he's certainly capable and, and effective yeah, he's been really good back to the basket. I mean, there were a couple even last night that he caught, you know, 10 feet away from the basket, one, two dribbles, turn around, fire up the hook shot, and uh, it's, it's been pretty true for him. By the way, Carson, I have done some efforting on a couple of different sites. Looks like there is no line currently on Oklahoma State, West Virginia, oh, yeah. I'm assuming because of the ankle. Didn't think about that. That's yep. the, They're going to wait till they get some more – information on on k that obviously would by the way the line big time jeff goodman about a half an hour ago did release what we all knew which is an update on Cade. and the update is he has a sprained ankle he'll be reevaluated. Yeah, he's questionable for tomorrow's game against west virginia that's i, I mean as he, was hob- <laughs> as he was hobbling off i predicted mike boyne would say he doesn't know he doesn't have all the information yet they're gonna do more tests and i would have predicted that he was going to have a sprained ankle and will undergo further evaluation and his status is in question for, you know, it's like, it's like total autopilot. We all, we all saw what happened and we all knew that his status would be in doubt. Cause man, he was limping pretty bad from the jump when he sleeps on that thing and he has an opportunity to swell up overnight. I bet, I bet he's on crutches today or at least in a, in a walking boot at the very minimum. Yeah. And, and I'll go one step further, Carson. And I will say that I would not be upset at all if he doesn't play next week in the Big 12 tournament. Wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. You you know, uh, either 13 or 14 days from today, Oklahoma State will play its first game in the NCAA tournament. Now, they're they're a lock to get in, regardless of whether they lose tomorrow and lose next week in the Big 12 tournament. Matter of fact, I don't think they could go lower than about, man, I don't know, maybe a six or seven seed at this point. So even if he doesn't play, uh, next week in the Big 12 tournament wouldn't bother me. He's got to be right in two weeks. Those are the games that matter. Single elimination, you, you know, you don't get a hiccup in the NCAA tournament. So just make sure he's right for that. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you because I do think the committee would factor in not having Cade. I agree. If you go out in the first round of, or your first game, rather, in the, in the Big 12 tournament. I think they've gotten way more progressive in – factoring in teams resumes who was available versus who was not so yeah I, I think they would get a lot of benefit of the doubt there if they were to lose in the first round to say you know texas tech or whomever they would be 
uh, matched up against Texas, whomever that may be. So I think I agree with you there. Uh, you ready for buckets and bricks? Absolutely. You, uh, you go first. Well, my bucket is definitely going to go to Cade Cunningham. I, I know it's, it's becoming the, the Cade Cunningham segment of the show. But again, I just, what this guy is proving to me to be at the next level and currently this level, obviously, I thought that Jared Butler would be the big 12 player of the year, like by far, based on the way Baylor has gone 20 and one, 12 and one in conference play, won the big 12 championship. But you just look at like the individual awards and you do wonder if Cade will be named big 12 player of the year based on individual achievement. I'm not sure how the criteria will work amongst voters. I tend to think Butler will get it based on the season success of Baylor. That's typically how these awards go to the, the best team usually collects most of the awards. But when a guy's leading the big 12 and scoring like Cade and, and going to be the number one pick in the draft, I do wonder if, if he will get it, but I, I think he did everything in his power to just, again, OSU's never out of a game due to Cade Cunningham. And he was four of eight from three, 24 points. He's so versatile in that his passing is his main ability but he can go up and make tough shots and be the clutch scorer when, when crunch time calls for it. I just, I could not be more impressed with this guy's overall game. He's, he's so ready for the NBA level. It's, it's really rare, even amongst number one picks. I think he's more NBA ready than most just in terms of how well-rounded his game is. Yeah. I think he's, you know, if you go over the last 10 years, I think he'll be a, a higher prospect than all the number one picks, except maybe Zion. I mean, Zion was, was pretty high up there, and I'd have to go back and look because there could be somebody that I'm totally forgetting uh, off the cuff. But, but that's my, my gut tells me that he'll be the best first overall pick in the last 10 years aside from Zion. Uh, I'm going to give you a curveball for my, my bucket today. My bucket is going to none other than Victor Hovland, who remains on a heater. Carson, go Pokes, go Victor Hovland, 69, nice in the first round, 68 in the second round for Vic. He is at seven under. He is in solo second through 36 holes at Bay Hill behind only the Canadian Corey Connors. So Victor Hovland has another great chance to hoist a trophy. He is becoming so much fun to root for week in and week out. Is he the best golfer in the world right now, currently just in terms of form? Uh, I mean, in terms of form, if you look at the season, he's currently projected uh, at the end of the week to take over the number one spot in the FedEx Cup points rankings, which is points based on just this season. I mean, he won at Mayakoba in the fall. He, he's got, you know, a, about a million top fives in the last two months. And it looks like he's on pace for another one and, and would have a great chance to win this week. Might have won last week, if not for one little quirky quad that he made on Friday where his ball kept ending up nestled up against stuff. But yeah, right now you can make an argument that Victor Hovland uh, is amongst a handful of guys who are playing the best golf in the world. Absolutely. He also played his first two rounds with Ricky Fowler, who looks like is two under today. He's finished, but he's going to miss the cut by a shot. And um, he, he, he was, he's teetering on the cut line. He's at plus two. So top 65 and ties make the cut. There are currently exactly 65 players at plus one or better. So I would guess that on a course as tough as Bay Hill, there's a decent chance that cut line moves back a spot. Oh, okay. so I'd say Ricky's probably 50, 50 to make the cut. Okay. Well, still, it has to be jarring for a player of Ricky's caliber to play with a kid who was at OSU just two years ago that he yeah. used to go visit and mentor just being so much better at the game than he is currently right now. That has to be – that has to hurt your confidence somewhat. And, that it's, look, it's no, it's, no, it's 
no slight to, to Ricky, then that Victor is probably the best player in the world right now. That, that, that goes without saying, but it just, the progression of, of Victor is just off the charts and his ball striking is unbelievable, but he's really improved his chipping and his putting. That's really what he was, I think, top five around the green through the first round or two at, at the Arnold Palmer. So it shows you he's been grinding and working on his craft because he's, he's off the charts good. And I, I can't wait to see what he does in the majors this year. Yeah, just to give you kind of perspective on, uh, you know, how good his ball striking is, even this season on the PGA Tour, as well as he's been playing, he's barely inside the top 100 in strokes gained around the green, and he's outside the top 100. He was ranked 110th uh, coming into this week in strokes gained putting, and he's still lighting the world on fire with everything that he's doing. That tells you how good his ball striking is. Also, I just went and looked at the analytics. There's a site uh, that does cut line probabilities and stuff and, and live it updates it uh, basically every 30 seconds. And right now, plus two, it has a 77.7% chance to be the cut line, which means Ricky Fowler would play the weekend. Oh, yeah. According to the analytics, he's got a nearly 80% chance to make the cut. Uh, by the way, I watched his round today. He was plus five for the tournament with about six holes left. And he made three birdies in his last six holes to get him to that point. So if he can get to the weekend, maybe that's some momentum for Ricky to build on. Yeah, he needs he needs to play the weekend to get, get his mojo back for sure. Yes. Uh, my brick, it's going to go to the officiating, which I've already mentioned, the Big 12 refs. But specifically, there was an official that didn't know what call to make per usual. Rondell Walker is trying to save a ball out of bounds. He has to like saunter over to Rondell and look at him before he decides – whose ball it was, and he just kind of throws his arm to point for Baylor's direction and smacks Rondell in the face. Rondell, like, went down. He got hit in the face by the referee. He was that clueless. He didn't even know he's hitting a player. So I, I got to give a brick for that. That was, that was, a, that was laughably just too, too on the nose for, for Big 12 officiating. Yeah, I think that that's a good one. Uh, I'm going to give my brick to the college sports gods. Because for whatever reason, Carson, it, it just feels like we don't get to have nice things as Oklahoma State fans. Well, why don't we get to have nice things? Everything is going great. You win five in a row. You beat OU twice. Sure, you're going to drop one to Baylor, but it's not that big a deal. You're going to be fine. And inside a minute to go, less than a minute to go on the clock, 42 seconds, the best player in the country, once in a generation type talent, comes to Oklahoma State and rolls his ankle with two days left in the regular season. Are you kidding me? Why can't we have nice things? gods of college athletics major brick for you guys because i'm sick of oklahoma state always getting the short end of the stick it's exhausting was it any surprise that it happened in waco against baylor of course it would happen in waco you're right of course of course it would it's just yeah. you know you're that's well said and you just shake your head at times when, when stuff like that happens i mean it's just it's unbelievable so uh before we uh move on colby i, I wanted to touch on you know big news this week uh, with Mike Holder stepping down officially as the athletic director, Chad Weiberg, who was the associate athletic director, will move up as we all assumed he would whenever Mike Holder decided decided to call it quits. But uh, a massive day, massive uh, news event for Oklahoma State, and I just wanted to say that, you know, Barry Trammell wrote a really good column about how misunderstood Mike Holder is, and I I'm, I certainly have misunderstood him during my career. I'd always kind of heard that. You know, he just he just didn't like the Suttons and he just he was kind of gruff and not personable. But I, I found him to be the opposite. I found him to be very personable every time I've met with him. And I just think overall that 
He's one of the most important figures in Oklahoma State history. You may not like him. You may not like some of the policies he's made. But look where this athletic department was just as little a time as the, the mid to late 90s, 1999 even, let's say, 2000, 2001, before Boone Pickens got involved with the football stadium. Think to how embarrassing the athletic department was because they, they didn't have a stadium. They didn't really have an athletic facility with, with multiple sports. And frankly, OSU wasn't even trying to compete in athletics for a very, very long time. It was basically, well, the, the basketball team got good under Eddie and that he got momentum going and they, they rebuilt Gallagher Iba. But they, before that, they weren't trying to compete in football because they didn't build any facilities. They had no money. And Mike Holder has completely made Oklahoma State a big time athletic department. I mean, their facilities are top notch and they basically they can compare to a school like Oklahoma who's been trying to compete in, in football and athletics for a lot longer than them. They can compete in all the sports. I mean, they're on the, they're on the, the, the trophy that they give out every year for all the sports. OSU's right up there. So I, in terms of like a Mount Rushmore of OSU, Mike Holder belongs on it, not only for what he did with, with Oklahoma State golf program, but, but also mainly primarily what he's done as, as the athletic director. So he has his critics. He hasn't been perfect. There's been some, some mishaps, which you're in a big time job like that. That's going to happen. But I think it, Mike Holder deserves to be looked at fondly by OSU for what he's built. Yeah, I think we're kind of on the same wavelength there. I, I think you can look at a couple instances throughout his career uh, where you can criticize him and where people have criticized him. But if you look at everything he's done on the whole, you mentioned it. You talk about the overall growth of the athletic department, and that's across the board. I mean, look at the new soccer stadium. Look at the new baseball stadium, the new tennis facility, the new football facilities, uh, everything that they've done out at Carson Creek, everything. Everything has been improved under Mike Holder, and it's been improved drastically. Not only that, Carson, he's made some pretty good head coaching hires. He got Josh Holiday to Oklahoma State. He's the one who hired Mike Boynton whenever we all thought that it was crazy. He, he saw what we didn't see with Mike Boynton. He got Alan Bratton in as the head coach at Oklahoma State, who's won a national championship. He's done a really good job uh, as the athletic director at Oklahoma State. And I think that sometimes, you know, you can look at little things along the way uh, and, and it kind of taints your vision of what the overall tenure was. And, you know, in not quite two decades, Mike Holder drastically improved athletics at Oklahoma State. And isn't that what you're supposed to do as an athletic director? I mean, I mean, you look back 16 years ago and you ask yourself, is Oklahoma State athletics in a significantly better place today than it was 16 years ago? And the answer, Carson, is unequivocally, without a doubt, yes. Absolutely. That's well said. And, and I do think that you know, obviously they brought in Chad Weiberg to be his, you know, ultimately his successor. And Chad Weiberg has been extremely successful in his career on his, in his own right. And I just think it's so cool to have someone who's from the OSU family taking over for a guy who's spent, you know, 50 years at Oklahoma state practically and Mike Holder, you know, Chad Weiberg, obviously his brother was tragically killed in the plane crash. His father was involved in, in, in sporting and athletics as well. And I just think this guy is sharp as a tack. He has been so successful. I think he's such a great appointment to take over for Mike Holder. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how, how he will differ from Mike Holder and how he will handle football scheduling moving forward. That was a big thing that, that Mike Holder and Mike Gundy butted heads on for years. I'm curious to see how the athletic department takes shape under Chad Weiberg. But I, 
I don't think there's anyone else that I can think of out there that I would want to take the position because Weiberg understands Oklahoma State. He's part of it. He's from it. Uh, he has deep ties to it. And I think he's a razor sharp uh, administrator because I, you just look at the success he's had at other schools and it's, he's been, he's been, he's been excellent. So I, I'm really looking forward to, to him taking over. Yeah, I am too. It's one of those things where uh, I think it, we're all grateful for what Mike Holder's done and very optimistic for Weiberg to take over. Weiberg uh, is thought very highly of in Oklahoma State circles, and, and there's a lot of reasons to that. So it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, Carson, he's taking over at what is really a pretty stable time in Oklahoma State athletics. It's not like he's going to take over in day one. People are going to be asking him to, to fire a coach or do something drastic. Uh, you know, the facilities are in a pretty good place uh, universally, universally at Oklahoma State. So he's taking over at a time of pretty great stability. So who, who knows when we'll see him face his first real big major test as athletic director at Oklahoma State. But that's kind of how you want it. You, you want a smooth transition. What you don't want is like, you, you. I mean, we all know what happened at Tennessee just a month or two ago where it was a mass exodus and AD's gone and coach is gone and everything's on fire and you're looking to replace everybody. It, it's kind of nice to have a guy who's been great decide that it's time to hang it up and then have another guy who's been in the waiting for a long time, just step in and fill those shoes. And there, there's not a whole lot going on right now. So uh, perfect time for this transition for Oklahoma state and for Chad Weiberg. Yeah. Apparently when he came to Oklahoma state too, he, he was already involved with scheduling. Apparently according to the Oklahoma and he was instrumental in orchestrating the series with Tulsa. He also helped schedule the non-conference games in Oregon state, Boise state, among others. So he's already been involved heavily in, in the schedule making. I, I love those games. I've always said schedule like a, a lower rung power five school, like in Oregon state, you get a power five win and you're going to win that game. And obviously Boise state's more of a challenge and they're, they're more of a wild card, but I love what he's done so far with the, they should play Tulsa every year. It's just down the road. All the OSU fans can go to a road game when they, when they play them on the road and it's a game you should win. So I, I love the fact he, he, he brought back the, the Tulsa uh, game as well. So, so yeah, big, big news in, in Oklahoma state. I'm I'm curious to see how his relationship with Mike Gundy evolves. Obviously Gundy's had a, kind of a, an interesting calendar year at OSU. So it'll be interesting to see how Gundy Weiberg also had an Gundy. interesting relationship with the, uh, with the last athletic director. What'd you say? I'm sorry. Gundy also had an interesting relationship with the previous athletic director, I guess the current athletic director, Mike Holder. So be interesting to see what his relationship is like with Chad Weiberg. Sure. And uh, Perry Trammell said that the news of Holder stepping down was like the best day of his career. <laughs> so he, he insinuated that, uh, that, that Mike Gundy was not too sad to see Mike Holder go, but look, they're, they they ultimately learned how to coexist. Gundy didn't leave. He he kept kept getting raises. Obviously, he's done a great job in terms of wins and losses with the program and what he's built at OSU speaks for itself. But uh, I think Weiberg is is more of a traditional athletic director and and he he seems to get along with just about everybody. So that'll be that'll be fun to watch uh, take shape as as things progress. So you got anything else? You ready for one interesting thing? Uh, yeah, one interesting thing. I have got it. My one interesting thing, Carson, RPI is a big deal in baseball. RPI is how you determine uh, who sits where because, you know, there's hundreds of teams across the country and it's hard to rank them all because they don't all play each other. College baseball is very difficult to rank. 
Right now, RPI, Oklahoma State, number one in the country, 7-0 and on the season. Does that mean a ton right now when they haven't played big games against big opponents? No, but I do think it is indicative of the fact that this is a team that hasn't gone out and lost one that they should have, not, not lost already, um, and they're playing good baseball. So I'm a huge Josh Holiday fan. Uh, O'Brien Stadium looks unbelievable. I can't wait to get up there and see it in person. I love Oklahoma State baseball, and I love that they're off to such a great start. Even though it is only early March, it is still nice to go check the RPI rankings for college baseball and see number one, Oklahoma State. It's, it's a fun site, so uh, shout out to Josh Holiday doing good things with the baseball program. Yeah, I'm super excited about this season. OSU's, from what I understand, going to be really good as long as as well as other members of the Big 12. So I'm I'm fascinated to see how the baseball season plays out. And it's been long overdue to get O'Brate Stadium full. And gosh, the first game they played just looked incredible on television. That's I hope awesome. to get up there in, in, shortly. Hey, my one interesting thing: uh, John Smith, the OSU wrestling coach, legendary coach, says Oklahoma State is in talks about adding a women's wrestling program. There already oh. is one. One of the first ones, I think, in the country was at Oklahoma City University. And obviously, there's some some economic challenges, but uh, John Smith seems pretty passionate about it. And uh, it's a kind of a cool, that'd be kind of a cool deal for uh, uh, OSU women's wrestling to, to get started. And I'm not sure how it all work in terms of all the logistics, in terms of scholarships and all of those other things. But certainly, uh, John Smith seems, seems passionate about it. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, wrestling school, right? I mean, Oklahoma State's had a little bit of success uh, on the mats. So uh, I think that would be cool. I think it's always in in your best interest to continue to expand and to grow and to evolve. So uh, that would be awesome for Oklahoma State. Well, Seth Duckworth, who does just an amazing job covering wrestling for pistols firing, has really really made an impact with his coverage. Uh, He he actually uh, emailed Mike Holder. And Mike Holder says, quote, Seth, adding sports is not an option today, given the financial challenges created by the pandemic. Our goal is to keep all the sports that we currently sponsor and see a return to normal capacity in our venues next season. So while there is some buzz on the the wrestling front, uh, the schools definitely definitely has budget challenges and the pandemic is going to be felt for for quite some time. But at least it's being talked about. So I I found that interesting. Uh, Yeah, no doubt. That's. You're always looking ahead, and obviously COVID's had a huge impact, but it'll be, it'll be nice to get back to normal. Yep, I'm with you. Colby, enjoy the West Virginia game this weekend. We will talk to you next week. Absolutely, everybody. Have a great weekend. Go Pokes.